This is a table. You can't see it? Yeah. There we go. Okay? Yeah. You can't see the nice stains. There's some good stains, some holes. This is not a table that a lot of coasters ever saw. <laughs> For some of you, it may just look like some wood. That if we lived in a different climate, we would, you know, you could at least burn in the winter and keep warm. Or you may just like, you know, put it on the side of the road and like some random person will come by and pick it up. Because no matter what you put out there, someone's going to pick it up. Uh, one time, Alina and I had this like 100 gallon fish tank that was cracked, which um, we were moving. It's like, we're not taking this cracked fish tank with us. Um, you can't use it. You, the glass, you can't recycle. You can't do anything with it. But we're like, well, I guess we can put it on the side of the road and see what happens. So like, within an hour, it was gone. It's like, <laughs> you know? Okay, it's amazing. it's amazing with that. But a lot of, you know, you may look at it like, you know, that's, that's just a pile of wood. It's just a pile of wood. Stained, broken. What, what can you do with it? Now, you don't have to be an expert, though, in work working, to see that there may be some potential. It's not particle board, it's not like, that's the really the worst stuff. You get like the particle board that's had the, the water stains and it's like a little molted like that. But this is, it's solid. You know, I'm not an expert. I don't really, I don't know the last time I used a saw was. It was probably to cut down a tree, which isn't really woodworking. But um, I feel like I'm an amateur in the French sense, which I'll teach you a little French today. So this is good. Am, am, amateur means a lover of the practice. And so it's like amour, like mon amour, my amour. Um, but that's what it means. And so like, as the person who loves to do something is an amateur. Doesn't mean they're good at it, but they like <laughs> But they like to do it. Um, I'm an amateur woodworker. And I, mean, I could be like, okay, maybe, you know, there, there's, there's something that could be done there. I, you know, I can look at a torn, you know, when I have a stain on my shirt, I look at that and like, no matter what, it's like, this is useless and gone forever. But some people may look like, oh, you just do this and this and this, and then it'll be fine. When God looks at you, what do you think God sees? When other people look at you, what do you think they see? Do you think they see the varnish that's a little faded? Do they see the water rings around? Amateur. Amateur, yeah. <laughs> Is, do you think God sees that way? Do you think God looks at you and sees the things that are broken? Or the things that need to be or can be repaired? Who can be refinished? My friends, we're starting a new series called Second Chances about the possibility of new life for each of us, no matter where we are, whether we're Christians, whether we've been a Christian all our life, whether we have no idea what this Jesus talk is about. There's a possibility of new life in us. The possibility that our mistakes do not define who we are. Now, I have, don't know about you, but I have never won the lottery. It's not something that's happened to me before. I've never won even like one of those scratch-off things. Um, I feel like I've never really won a contest in my life. It's like there's a contest. Like, you have a 1 in 50, 1 in 100 chance of winning. I do not include myself in that one. I'm always like, I feel like I'm like 57 out of 100. Like that's not going to be, that's not going to be the one that wins. Well, I, I, did, I did win one national contest once, and that was a March Madness bracket. Um, because, because Duke won, and I always pick Duke no matter what. <laughs> Even if they're bad, I have to pick them. I'm a homer. And so it's like when they happen to win the national championship, I usually I win things. But, no. but I, don't, I don't see myself in that category as someone who's going to end up 
the winner in a contest. And I think miracles are a lot like that too. Sometimes it feels like miracles happen to other people. Miracles are for them, not for, for me. I don't expect the miracle to happen to me. Maybe other people, but not to me. This is a mindset that I have, and I bet a lot of people have. In education, it's called a deficit mindset. It's looking at what is lacking in a person as opposed to the potential and the possibilities there. It's like looking at an English language learner, a child who's, who just immigrated here from another country, and seeing, oh, they don't know English, instead of seeing, oh my gosh, they already know this other language that I don't even know. We can look at ourselves in that way and think about, oh my gosh, look, I got, this wa- I got all these water rings all over me. I've got this you know, bum joint, these bum legs. Who am I? Who am I? What can I do? When I do that, I am not looking at my God. I'm looking at my past to predict my future. I'm assuming that my future must coincide with step by step by step, but that is not how God looks at us. God doesn't just see, okay, this step and this step and this act and this act, but with the God of resurrection and new creation, anything is possible. God's action in our life sometimes build over time. Sometimes it's this, the culmination of conversations, of moments, of experiences. They build and they build and they build, or it can happen in an instant. There need not be a continuity in the past for a miracle to take place. In fact, if there is a miracle in your life, there is no continuity in the past. It's the same thing with a conversion. When you have a true conversion, there is no continuity with what is going on before. Conversion, which literally means to turn around. It means your life is going one way, and then, boom, something happens, and you change directions. Which I think so often we have this kind of like metaphor of a road, you know, like the rubber cross. So like, I came to a road, and I had two options, and I could have chosen. That's as poetic as Frost, right? Um, <laughs> but I want you to imagine if you've ever like, had, a, had a grandchild or a child without a Hot Wheels track. Okay? You have a Hot Wheels track. It has like those plastic, it's very narrow, and the car goes one way and it goes around the loop and it goes back and it can go back and forth. And you can't, the car itself can't turn around, right? There's no space for a three-point turn on a Hot Wheels track. It needs something or someone to come in and pick it up and turn it around. And that is grace in our life. Grace is literally the hand of God that is when we're in those streets, when we're like surrounded by walls and, and wolves on all sides, and we cannot of our own accord pick ourselves up. God comes and meets us and turns us around. And turns us around. In addiction discourse, there's this, this language of, of the rock bottom. And so someone reaching a rock bottom and how the only person, the only way a person can turn their life around. As if, as if they get to this place, and yet it hurts to see people you love coming close to this. It hurts when you see people you love coming to what would be rock bottom for you, but it's not for them. And you can't just tell them, dude, you're at your rock bottom, because that, it, doesn't, it doesn't work like that. And as well, there's not this continuity. There's not this, this aspect that someone is like, okay, five more drinks, and then I'm going to be rock bottom, and then I'll turn my life around. That doesn't happen. Or it'll be like, okay, you know, just one more weekend with my friends, and then I'll be fine. I can sober up whenever I want. And we all know how realistic that is. Like, that doesn't, that doesn't happen. And so often in our lives and in the ways we see ourselves and in the ways we see our own culpability in the world, there is not this continuity that we have as well when we look at other people. 
that we can look at other people in our life and we can look at their lives and the decisions they make and the consequences that happen from those decisions and see this, okay, A leads to B leads to C leads to D. And then when we turn the searchlight inward, it's a lot hazier. It's a lot hazier. As well, this is how the same thing with, with the addict. The addict doesn't think again, like, okay, I'm, I can just do this two things and then I'll turn around. That rock bottom, I see it right there and then I'll get it. You have to hit it in order to turn around. And even then, it is still this miraculous occurrence. Because the, the metaphor is, is pretty potent because you hit a rock bottom before you die and then you, and then you turn around. And so it's a conversion. It's a conversion. It's a changing. It's a life going in one direction that turns around and goes another way. It's a life going one track that's able to go to another track through the miracle of a second chance. But those miracles aren't just for those moments. They aren't just for the other people in our life. They aren't just for the people they love. They're also for each of us. That God has that possibility. Miracles aren't just for other people. They're for each of you. They're even for me. There are times, there are times, my friends, when we don't know how we can see, how we can understand a second chance. We need to think, how can we see as God sees? How can we hear as God hears? First, we must admit that we are blind. First, we must admit that we are deaf, that we can't hear the cries of the needy in our life. We can't hear the cries of the people whom we love who are telling us to turn our lives around. But sometimes it's really hard. It's really hard to hear the difference in the voice between someone who's calling us and telling us out of love to change directions or someone who's crying out and tell us, telling us our life is going the wrong way when it really isn't. Because sometimes when we follow God in our life, we can go in a direction that goes counter to the direction of the world and can lead into some resistance. I have a friend in my, semin- in my um, ordination class who took a $2,000 a week pay cut to be a hospital chaplain. Now that seems irrational to a lot of people to go for that enormous a difference in income. And they may think like, oh, you, you know, you should earn that money and save that money and then use the money to help people instead of just using yourself and listening to God in your life. It doesn't make sense according to the logic of the world. But according to the logic of God, it makes perfect sense. Living that life of luxury is the irrational thing to do. And so how can we personally tell the difference between living in a way that is contrary to the world and living in a way that is a light path of destruction? I want you to think about that question. We're going to get back to it. Because it's trickier than it may seem. That sometimes we have people in our lives who are pointing out to us ways that we are veering off that, that may, in fact, be ways of utmost faithfulness. Whereas other times we have people in our life who are pointing out things that we should really be listening to. Because they're right. Because they love us. And they wouldn't be saying things if they didn't love us. We need to remember that wholeness and healing are not defined by our culture, but by God. Wholeness may be someone who is deaf and mute, but has learned to speak through sign language and still can't speak with their mouth. Wholeness may not be able-bodiedness. So often we are biased in this way called ableism, which is a form of discrimination that assumes that someone who may not have the use of their legs or the use of their ears or their mouth, that all they want to do is to have that full use again, that that's their desire. Everyone who is blind does not seek to see. 
Everybody who is deaf does not seek to hear. That is a prejudice. You're prejudging the situation, not letting the person speak. Our true desire, our internal desire, our deepest desire is to be whomever God made us to be, not to be able-bodied, not to be supermodels, not to be the best-looking people on Instagram. Not, our goal in life is not to have the body of an athlete or the mind of a super genius. Abundant life is not about receiving praise. Abundant life is not about being the most attractive or the most productive in this world. Abundant life is about offering love to others. If the goal of human existence was to produce as many goods as possible, to get as much money as possible, to be as well-liked as possible, to have the best body and hair care routine, yes, it would be different. But the amazing thing is God does not desire this for us. God does not look down to me and think, oh, Wilson, you know, if you only did this, this, and this, then your life would really get together. God doesn't talk about me the way I talk about other people in that way. That is not how God sees me. That is not how God sees you. That is not how God sees this table. And if we think back to that Mark 7 passage, the text begins in a really important place. I want you to think what, what Julie said. The deaf man does not go to Jesus alone. It says, they brought him. His friends brought him. His unnamed friends are the ones who take the man to Jesus. They take the man who feels broken to be made whole. My friends, we are not alone. One of the worst aspects of depression, of addiction, of so many of the broken situations in this world is the isolation. Is the feeling like nobody understands or nobody really cares. There's so many people in this world who feel like that. There's so many people we all know in our lives who feel like that. I bet every one of us in this room has felt like that at one point or another in our life. Maybe even today you're feeling like that. We isolate ourselves and pull back from the possibility of grace in our life. It reminds me of one of the most amazing examples of friendship in the Bible. It comes from the book of Job which is kind of surprising. But if you know, Job is the story in the middle of the Old Testament, and it's about a guy who all the bad things happen to him. Um, like, all of them. All the bad things happen. And so he loses his family. He loses all his property. He gets sick and covered in boils. Okay, so this all happens in chapter 1. In chapter 2, this is when... This is what I'm going to start reading. When Job's three friends heard about all this disaster that had happened to him, they came, each from his own home. Eliphaz from Taman, Bildad from Shua, Zophar from Nema, they agreed to come so they could console and comfort him. And when they looked up from a distance and didn't recognize him, they wept loudly. Each one tore his garment and scattered dust above his head toward the sky. They sat with Job on the ground seven days and seven nights, not speaking a word to him. For they saw that he was in excruciating pain. Now the rest of the book of Job is basically adventures and missing the point for all these friends. And so they all come and they have their advice over his life. And they all have like, you know what? The issue is you or the issue is God or the issue is your wife or that kind of thing. And they're all wrong. They're all like horribly wrong. Um, 
But they start with this presence. <laughs> they start coming and they start and they sit with him. And they don't come first with the answers. They come with who they are because they know their friend is hurting. They know that before he needs a word, he needs a body to remind him that he is not alone. And even still, even with all the really bad advice that these friends give, this this really bad advice, dialogically, it ends up bringing Job to where he needs to go. It brings him back to God. It brings him back to who he really is and to who loves him. Because when we are feeling broken, God offers us a second chance. And the instrument for that second chance that God offers to us are the people in our lives. And we begin to see again, we begin to hear again by remembering that we are not alone. We are part of a body. And even if you do not believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God or that God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, you are still part of a body. You are still part of a community. You are not alone in this world. And if we get back to thinking about the fact that it is the friends who take the deaf man to Jesus, we remember that people can encourage you and give you help in amazing ways, as well as discourage you. But the key, how to know the difference. How do we know the difference when someone is there for our best interest and someone is not, is to look at the fruit. Look at the fruit. Are they putting you on the path of love, or are they not? Are they putting you on the path of living for others or living for yourself? What is the fruit? Are you giving of others, or are you just taking We can begin to accept the second chance that God offers to us and hold on to that. When we are able to live beyond ourselves and realize that we are not the center of the universe. And the the advice, the encouragement, the presence that helps and gets us there are the people who point us out, point that out to us. We must remember that God doesn't send us into the lives of others to have all the right answers. God doesn't send us into the lives of others to solve all their problems. That's not why you are friends with that person. That's not your job, is to solve their problems. But to show mercy. To show love. And that may mean sitting and just crying with them. And then when you walk away, you may feel like you didn't do anything. And it was a waste. But in that, you were showing the mercy of God and just possibly they may hear those words. Ephetha. Ephetha. Be opened. In the New Testament, there isn't a lot of Aramaic. It doesn't happen very often. So whenever it happens, we need to really point out, think about what's going on. This is an important moment. Ephetha. Be opened. Which is what conversion is all about. Instead of turning inward, instead of turning away from people and into ourselves and turning into this focus that we are the center of the world, it is standing upright, being open to the possibility of love in this world. Being open to seeing as God sees. Being open to seeing ourselves not as our past, but as the possibility of love in our future. In the midst of a broken world. That fact, that possibility is a miracle which is offered to us to be open. Not because we deserve it. 
Not because of how, not because we are lucky, or you are lucky, or I am lucky, because, but because of how amazing God is. As James said, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights. Forgiveness is for each of us. We are not this busted table. You are not this busted table. We can seek love in others. We can take the time to be with others, to cry with them, to take joy with them, to walk together, to do the things of God, to be doers of the word, and not just hearers alone. That James passage has one of my favorite metaphors in the Bible, because if you are not a doer of the world, it's like of the word, it's like you're looking in a mirror and you turn away and you forget your reflection. If you're not a doer of the word, it's like you walk out of here on Sunday morning and you forget what we were talking about. You forget the God who loves you. If you're not a doer of the word, the word itself inside you starts to fade away. You do not see it. Instead, you just see the broken table. You see the flaws. You look at the flaws in others and you don't look at the log in your own eye. If we are not doers of the word, but we don't have to just listen. God gives us the grace to act. God gives us other people to act. God gives us a church community to act with, opportunities to serve others with, opportunities in this world. Remember that you are a child of God. You are not your mistakes. You are not your flaws. You are loved. You are God's beloved, and you are able to do the things of love. You can see again, even though you are blind. So, my friends, let's be doers of the word. That's where the second chance begins. That's how we can start to see again. I think in many ways, this story from Mark 7, the true conversion may have been the friends who brought the deaf man to Jesus. They're the ones who turned their life around. They had heard that this man was coming. This Messiah who could do wonders. They had heard and they had acted. They had acted not for themselves, but for another. I bet some of those people who took their friend, they might have had a limp. They might have been hurting. They may not have had a lot of meals. There could have been some healing that Jesus had done on their life, but instead they focused on their friend. They're focused on their friend and the wholeness possible for him. A second chance is not about pity, but about action, about the fact that we can turn again. We can live again. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.